Welcome to this week's podcast from Gathering Place Church. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit our website at gatheringplacechurch.com. We're going to take of communion together. Merry Christmas, everyone, as we're counting down the next couple days. Christmas will be here. But I've been praying and just seeking God's heart um, on the message of Christmas and uh, been thinking a lot about, as we all do this time of year, uh, gifts are a big part of what we do, right? We spend a lot of time thinking of how can we get the perfect gift for those that we love. Uh, We want to make sure they know we love them by the gift we give them. You might be uh, in the boat of where you don't spend a lot of money, but you put a lot of thought into the gift. Let me see, you're, you're a thoughtful person. Maybe you'll take a $3 Hallmark card, but what you put in that Hallmark card is priceless. Maybe you're not as thoughtful, but you, you go thoughtful in a different way where you spend a little money and you get maybe a Google Home product or you get Alexa for somebody or you spend a little money on somebody, get them what they want. But I was just thinking um, about gifts and thinking about it a little deeper and Asking myself the question, as we all do, of why do we like getting gifts? Why do we enjoy getting gifts? And I think what it boils down to is we enjoy getting gifts because we love feeling appreciated. We love feeling loved by someone. We love to know how somebody feels about us. And a gift is a way to express that. You look on the flip side of it. As a child, they, they love getting gifts, but then you come to a certain age where it begins to change. And parents, you, you know what this feeling's like, but you love what? You love giving gifts now, where you love seeing the expression on the other person's face or on your kid's face, or you love being the one to now show, this is how much I appreciate you. This is how much I love you. And you enjoy seeing the expression of their face lights up, light up. And so what it really boils down to and just the simple message of gift giving is we get the feeling of love and we get to show love. And when you think about Christmas, you think about Jesus and him coming into the the world. Uh, The Gospel of John puts it that it was now the the word made flesh. So we see God now has a name. God has a face. God has a personality and his character is all reflected now through Jesus. And this Christmas, it's easy to get focused and get busy and uh, lose sight of what Christmas is all about. Everyone goes through this every year. But there's something about a service like this where you can just take a breath. You can cast all your anxieties upon Christ. And you can say, I want to get to the heart of what Christmas is all about. And so this morning, I pray that as we get into some, uh, some points that God just began to stir in me, of what Christmas is all about, that it would get deep in you and you would know how much you matter to God. Think about the gift that God gave us. He gave himself. He just didn't shout from heaven and say how much he loves us. He just didn't look at your situation and throw some medicine at you. But what did he do? He came in and identified with us. The creator now is in relationship with the creation to show how much he loves you and I. And the greatest gift he gave us was himself. And that is a gift and that is a promise that is given to you this morning. What I love, again, is a, 
a, pass, or a, a lyric in the line, Oh, Holy Night, it says this. It says, Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. I think we go through life and we miss it that we've, we try to find worth in a, in a physical relationship or we try to find worth in the career or the job or what's around us physically. But what the Oh Holy Night lyric reveals is we don't know our worth until we see Christ appear in our lives. That's why we come into the house of God because we want the appearance of Christ. We want to be made into Christ this morning. There's a couple pictures, Kenny, if you would uh, put those up, because Christmas is all about celebrating a baby, right? We're celebrating a baby, and uh, as we've been sharing, this has been a season in our church where God has been blessing our church, been growing our church. We've had a lot of uh, families being fruitful and multiplying, uh, but this is just some pictures of, you just saw baby Luca, uh, this is uh, baby Daniel here, and his, some of his Christmas pictures, Charles and Kaylin, uh, baby Halo. Uh, and then Amelia, who was, who was just born on December 12th, uh, she is adorable. And Brittany and Barron, um, man, are going to be awesome parents. But what it's, what it's neat is we celebrate babies and we celebrate Christ who is born in a manger. One thing I've learned about being a parent for just four and a half months or whatever it's been is there is nothing intimidating about a baby. I think we can all agree about that, that there is nothing intimidating about a baby. You just want to cuddle, and you want to hug, and you want to love, and you want to kiss, and show your affection for babies. There's just something about them. And when you think about it, why, how Christ came, he didn't come in an entourage. He didn't come in divine glory. He came in a humble feeding trough, surrounded by animals, surrounded by smells on a dirt floor. And what's awesome about it is, is Babies aren't intimidating, and I believe that's God trying to get a message to us, is I don't want you to be intimidated by me. I want you to approach me. I want you to always have the heart to come and adore me and let me love on you. Let me uh, show you how much I care for you. And so this morning, again, the message of Christmas is that you matter. And not just that you matter, but you matter to God. That's how much he cared about you. And so I want to look at a passage of scripture that speaks to this. And it comes from Colossians chapter one, verse 15. Look what it says. It says, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. It says, for in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, both visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. You've heard it said that Christ is both fully divine and he's both fully man. And this passage of scripture speaks to that, that now the image of the invisible God, the question for centuries that the Israelites, God's, people's, God's people asked of this uh, longing of a coming Messiah is now revealed because of Christmas, that the image of the invisible God is now here. And maybe you're like me too when uh, you think about God being fully divine and fully human. When you first get saved or you first come into a relationship with God, it takes a minute to really wrap your head around the divinity of God. 
Like, oh my gosh, he is divine. He is holy. And you begin to experience being filled with the Holy Spirit. And you begin to see God move for you. begin to see him open doors. And then you begin to say, oh my gosh, there is, God is uh, greater. God can provide breakthrough in my life. God can do amazing. He can do miracles. And you begin to wrap your head around that God is divine. Now, what begins to happen and what I experience and where I find myself in is you begin to wrap your head around how God is a supernatural God. He's divine, what he's done, what, he, what he's doing. Then you begin to look at his humanity and you're like, oh my gosh, how did he do it? How did he walk earth for 33 years and never sin? How did he live a perfect life? Because he, uh, yes, he was divine, but he still bled the same as you and I bled. He still hurt the same as you and I hurt. He felt the same things we did. Now, pretty much the difference here is when he uh, uh, stubbed his toe or someone got under his skin, what came out of his mouth would be different than you and I. But he was fully human and he was fully divine. And so when you see and you read throughout the Gospels and you read about the life of Jesus, you see that he, not, he models what a life is to, to be lived that honors God, which is what we want to do here this morning. Look what it says again in Hebrews chapter 2. It says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. So this says that he is identifying with our humanity. And here's why. Because he doesn't leave us helpless. He says, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, which is the devil. In 2018, you might have seen uh, some videos that have gone around on Facebook or whatever, whatever socials you've been on, but there's this term that's uh, come on the scene, and it's known as a porch pirate. And what a, a porch pirate is, is somebody, all of you who order from walmart.com and amazon.com, is they literally, literally use porch pirates, will go from neighborhood to neighborhood and just examine and try to see who's got boxes on their front porch that they can go and then therefore steal. So that the, the term given to them is porch pirates. Now, one of the, the biggest gifts, if you look, of 2018 is the iRing camera systems. You know, on your doorbell, you take your doorbell and you turn it into a camera to try to capture these porch pirates. Now, there was a former, former NASA engineer that decided to have a little fun with uh, handling these porch pirates. Anybody see the video already? Okay, yeah, it's amazing. And so what he did is he took a home, an Apple HomePod kit, put it on his doorstep, rigged the thing up, and basically turned it into a glitter bomb. And it had cameras and tracking in it. So when someone uh, would go and steal the package off of the porch, he would then be able to track where that package is, and there would be cameras in it. And then when they would open the box, basically a burst of glitter would just splat everywhere. And then not only that, but it had uh, some fart spray in it and it would stink the entire car up, okay? And so we see that these porch pirates, someone just caught that. And so what we see is, relating that into Christmas here, is we see that Jesus didn't want to leave us helpless to the enemy, didn't want to leave us relationshipless. And so what you see, the first point is, is what we see that Jesus came to show us what God is like. And as I was praying through this and thinking through this of what is the heart of God to us? What is he trying to communicate to us? And number one is that right there is that he cares deeply about us. That he doesn't want us to be stolen from. He doesn't want us to be robbed from. 
But what does Jesus say? That he wants us to have life and he wants us to have it abundantly. You know, everyone, especially in the United States, is an expert on God. There was a tweet that was recently sent out by a, uh, a popular psychologist, a professor at a, at a big university. And what he had said is uh, trying to tie the, the Christmas story into the Me Too movement. And what he had tweeted was that Mary didn't give consent to be impregnated by God. So trying to twist the story around where if, if we know, if you actually go and read the scripture, it, what Mary is praised for and what the scripture actually says that she's most favored by God is that when the archangel Gabriel communicated the message, what did she say? She said, she said, yes. She said, so be it unto me according to your word. And because of that, because of her yes, what happened? Christ was born. God came through the power of the Holy Spirit, says the Holy Spirit came upon her and she was impregnated. And so that's just a sign of the time, the, the place we live in where even the simplest of Christmas stories of what you and I cherish, you and I know, you and I grow up on is now being twisted, is now being polluted, is now being uh, just trying to rob the beauty and the simplicity of the, the message of Christmas. And so this Christmas season, what you need to know and, and what I pray is that you just don't know it for yourself, but you take it to those around you, is that you communicate this message that humanity matters to God, that you matter to God, that he cares deeply about you, that there is no doubt in your mind of how much he loves you. And that's why, again, he came as a baby so that you wouldn't be intimidated by him. When I see Christ in the major, that's what I think of how approachable God is and how relatable God is and how much he cares for me. And then when I look at the cross, what I see is that I'm not even bound by my past, but that my past does not have a grip over me. It's amazing when you look at the images and the icons of Christ at different seasons and in the gospel, it relates to this, that God is relatable, that God loves you, that he cares deeply for you. Look at scripture, what Exodus 3, 7 through 8 says. And this is when God's people were crying out to come out of captivity, to come out of slavery from Pharaoh. Look what it says. It's a foretelling of Christ. It says, And the Lord said, I have indeed, indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. You need to know right here that God sees when you cry out. God hears when you're broken, when you're hurting. It says, I have heard them crying out because of the slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. But see, he just didn't stop there. He just wasn't concerned. He just didn't say, I'm just going to pray for them. Look what it goes on to say. It says, so I have come down. Everybody say, come down. To rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. And not just rescue them, but then now bring them up out of the land into a good, spacious land. How do you know God, with the miracle of Christmas, wants to bring you into a good place? Wants to bring you into a place where you know how much he cares for you. And he showed it with his very life. And it says, in the land flowing with milk and honey. I love it. And so we see very deeply and in a very real way that God cares for us. One of my favorite scriptures, 1 Peter 5, 7 says this, and I pray this Christmas season that you would allow the scripture to come alive to you. Cast all your anxiety on him because what? He cares for you. 
This is the heart of Jesus. This is the heart of God that he cares for you. He cares not just, see, sometimes we get in our heads that God just cares about our salvation or the big moments of our life of when we get baptized or when we get married or maybe at our funeral when we die. But God just doesn't care about the big things in our lives. He cares very much about the minute details of our lives. He cares about uh, when we open up to him in prayer and get real with him. He wants to come and take that anxiety that you have around this time of year. Because as beautiful as Christmas is, there's a lot of stuff that comes with that. You're around family you don't see all year, and there's a lot of baggage there sometimes. There is stress financially. There's a lot of anxiety that comes in this season. And so follow what we see here in 1 Peter to cast your anxiety upon him. Number two is this, of what we see is that God is close. Through Christmas, we see that he just doesn't care, but there's, that there's a closeness with God. St. Ignatius, who was an early church father, he was uh, the bishop or the leader of the first uh, church in Antioch. He said this, he said, he who, knew, he who nothing contained has been contained in a womb. Think about that for a minute, where we see how infinite and how omnipresent and omniscient God is, is he made himself to be contained in the womb of Mary. That God contained all of his power and all of his greatness and all of who he is in the womb of Mary. What's neat about Ignatius, and we're going to see that uh, church history will tell us this, that he was actually the boy when, when Jesus, uh, we're going to read the gospel story, but he was the boy that Jesus pulled from the crowd and put on his lap to define what greatness really is, that to look at what, how a child is. I want you to see this gospel story here. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 9, verse 33. If not, you can read it on the screen behind. But it's neat when you read church history, you can begin to connect some of the details of the gospel stories. Verse 33 says this, that they came to Capernaum. And it says, when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? So we see the disciples getting a little bit jealous. They're getting in a feud. And it says, but they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. So Jesus' closest followers, we see them at about a fifth grade argument level here, arguing about is who is the greatest among them. Real mature, guys. Verse 35 goes on to say, it says, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, so he's taking an embarrassing moment between the disciples and is going to teach them a lesson. And he said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and servant of all. Verse 36, here's the child, which again, church history will tell, is this uh, uh, early church father by the name of Ignatius. He's got a lot of great writings and commentary, and his name actually means God-bearer. He says that he took a little child whom he placed among them, taking the child in his arms, and he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, does not welcome me but the one who sent me. This is a powerful passage of scripture where you see the heart of God reflected of, of how are we to approach God. It's to be as a child. And it, it, around Christmas times, you see your, your nieces, your nephews, your children, your grandchildren. You see the excitement. You see the approach they have toward receiving gifts and the excitement. 
And let that be an image for you that that's how we're to approach God. That's how we're to be just to jump toward God and to run toward God. In the, in the era, of too, of God being close, I think of a story when I was in fourth or fifth grade. Um, at the time, my dad owned and, and, and operated a dump truck company where he would haul gravel. And, and in the wintertime, if he was short a driver, he would have to jump out and drive. And when there was a shortage of, of gravel, what they would do is they would take these dump trucks and turn them into salt trucks. So a lot of the salt trucks you see running up I-75 about a decade ago, my dad or some other guys were probably in that at some point. But he would always make a point to be, to be there Christmas Day. Whatever he could do, he wanted to be there Christmas Day. But there was this one Christmas I remember, and this just says a lot of my dad and, and things that stick in your head because at the end of the day, dads, we know that it's not about the, the, the money or it's not about the gifts that we throw toward, toward our kids. It's about the time and it's about the quality time that we spend with our family. That's what a child never forgets. So this was just an image that was burnt in my brain and that I take with me as a principal as now being a new dad. But there was a Christmas Eve, there wasn't a driver. I was talking to my mom about this. Dad, you don't, I didn't tell you I was going to share this, but um, what was neat is he left, we usually have Christmas Eve at Pastor Joyce's and with our family and we'll eat and different things. So he left that early. He went to go uh, be a driver, drive the, the salt truck probably from 9, 10 o'clock till 5, 6 in the morning. And then he made it a point to get home, bloodshot eyes, to be there because three boys in the house, guess what? We're not waking up at 8 o'clock. We're getting up at 6 o'clock ready to open presents, okay? And dad said amen to that one. But what I remember is knowing that dad had left, not sure if dad would be back, but here he was back in his work clothes, sitting there watching us opening gifts. And see, that's the heart of God. That's the heart of dad, of, of a dad, because what scripture says is, is God as a creator and we as creation, he could have said, you're to call me sir, you're to approach me um, as, as me as your boss and your creator. But what does he say how we approach him? He says we can call him friends, and even better, that we call him dad. And what does that say? It says Abba, Father. Yeah. And we call him Abba, yeah. that that's the relationship we're to have with him. And again, this is as you get into what Christmas is all about. This is what he's trying to communicate to us through sending Jesus, through him coming as a man in the flesh to show how much he loved us and how much he was for us. When you think about it, as Jesus talks about servanthood, of what the takeaway, the practicality for you and I is, is that humility is the key that opens all the gifts that Jesus has for us, opens all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You only receive the gifts of Christ and the gifts of the Holy Spirit when you are willing to bow low in humility and surrender yourself to receive. Because your relationship, the, a foundational aspect, a foundational word of your relationship with God, of our relationship with God, is participation and is cooperation. Is that we participate with God, with his word, even if it doesn't make sense, even if we don't agree, we choose to participate with the Holy Spirit. And when you experience this closeness with God, it's just like, you know, our society talking about fatherhood too, it portrays fathers like Bart Simpson who are bumbling idiots, who are distant, who don't get it. 
And so there's this, no, there's this understanding that, okay, mom raises the kids, mom's the one in the house, dad works, come home, don't mess with dad the rest of the night. And so our culture has been portrayed that. And many times the father is the image of your relationship with God. So if you have a dad that was like that, then that's kind of how you take your relationship and view it with God subconsciously, even if you don't realize it or not. And so if you can get in your spirit that God is close to you, no matter if my earthly father was or not, then that's what opens the door to receive all that God has for you when you know he's close, when, he knows he's, when you know he's going to go to bat for you when nobody else will, that he loves you no matter what. God is close, and I wrote this down. Christmas is God being close and as unintimidating as possible through him, him coming as a baby in a manger. I pray that you would humble yourselves and see that this morning. And really where I want to get to is right here is number three is God is able. That it's great that God is, is, is close. It's great that God cares, but he just doesn't leave us there. Scripture says that God is able, that he's able to set us free. He's able to rescue us from our sin. He's able to fill us with himself. Luke 1.37 says this, it says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Now, the context of what this is said in, said in is God is saying this, or the angel is saying this to Mary. And what, is, what was Mary about to face? Mary is blessed and as highly favored as she was, was greatly oppressed as well. This was spoken before Mary would be impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And so she knew that this nine-month journey of being pregnant, of not being married, that Joseph wanted to divorce her, that uh, Herod wanted to slaughter all the babies. And so Mary, yeah, that's great that you're favored, but at the same time, she was greatly oppressed. So how many of you know when uh, this was spoken that for nothing is impossible with God, it went deep down in her spirit because she knew what she was about to have to walk into and what she was going to have to face. And you need to know that whatever trial, tribulation, whatever family mix-up you're in, is that nothing is impossible with God. When you go after him and his ways, he'll never let you down. A great Christmas gift that he gives us this morning, because he is able, is he takes our disease, he takes our infirmity. Go and read Isaiah 53. He takes the transgression and he takes the iniquity. So we've said before, the transgression is the act of what we do. The iniquity is the heart and the motives behind what we do. As he takes those very things and he says that by my stripes, you can be healed. See, Jesus' earthly ministry, as you read it, was healing, that he would heal every part of our lives. That salvation just isn't a ticket into heaven, but it's the healing of the whole person. It's the healing of your body. It's the healing of your mind. It's the healing of your spirit, that there is wholeness offered to you as a gift. And that's what God promises us and what he gives us. And when you understand this, that God is able in every situation, is every other temptation, every other uh, plot that the enemy wants to bring literally pales in comparison because you know you serve a God who can do anything and you serve a God of the impossible. And so when you ask of, of how can I give the perfect gift and I can't wait to see what I'm going to receive? As I was thinking about this, I began to ask, what does God want for Christmas? What, is, what does Jesus want for Christmas? He's given us so much. What can we give him in return? And what that question is, is very simple. Is God, 
through Christ literally wants everything, wants every part of your life. That's the heart and the message of the gospel is that he wants everything, that we not cling to our wills, we not cling to our wants, but we begin to cling to Christ and we begin to say, I want everything that Christ has and by that I'm gonna humble myself and give every part of my life. Let him into the deepest recesses of my life and say, you can have every part of my life, the good, the bad, the ugly. That God isn't scared of the places that you haven't opened up to. That's the part that he really wants. That's the part he wants to get to. He doesn't want your facade. He doesn't want your image. He wants your heart. That's what he's after. And Christmas is this gift of Christ to say, I'm giving you my heart. I'm giving you the closest thing to me, my very son, who is one day going to hang on a cross and is going to die for you. That's what he wants to get into your mind and into your head. But you need to know that you serve a God that is close, a God that cares, and a God that is able for your life. Look what he saves us into, and then I want us to take communion. Bree, if you would come. Paul says this to Titus, and I love it because this is prefaced uh, by uh, trained by saving grace. Because how many of you know that when you get this in your life, you begin to get trained? Anybody ever experienced training by the Holy Spirit or training by Christ? And so this is what Paul, who uh, trained Timothy and trained Titus, this is uh, the saving grace that he would be trained in. Here's what it says. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. He's appeared to you this morning. And it says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, we should live righteously, and we should live godly in the present age. It says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I believe you're here this morning because you're looking for the appearances of Christ and you want him to appear in your life each and every day. It says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify us for himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. I'm telling you, God is able to do this in your life. He is able to take the deepest parts of your life and cleanse you to make you new. What I love about Christmas is where it falls is that it falls right before going into a new year. And I don't know what you've been struggling with this year. Maybe this was the year that you were gonna be set free of the thing that you were struggling with in 17, but here it still is in your life. I pray that you would allow the grace of God. A prayer that I wrote down is, God, give me the grace. Open up my eyes, expand my vision, and expand my heart to receive more of you. I'm telling you, when you bow low before him, when you come and adore him, and you allow the work of Christmas to have its way in your life, this training of the grace of God begins to to take the parts of your life that you're ashamed of, the parts of your life you don't want to visit, He begins to take, because see, when we surrender things to God, it's not the bad stuff. We surrender our time. We surrender our talent. We surrender our treasure. We surrender everything to him. And he takes it and he uses it to bring him glory. And so I pray you see that this morning, is that through your surrender, as was Mary's, through her surrender, through her yes, the Holy Spirit did a powerful work in her. But see, she was greatly favored, and you need to know this about when God begins to put a calling on your life, when you begin 
to step up and be all who God's called you to be in your home and your relationships, that there is guaranteed you're going to be oppressed. You're going to be fought on it by the enemy. You're going to be fought by those around you. But you can't let that cloud you and keep you from what God is wanting to do. And so this morning, Troy, if you bring our lights down, I want this to be a moment where we just really believe God to do a work in us. If you, you can stay seated, you can prepare your communion. And I want to do something a little different this morning. But what's powerful about communion and what the scripture says, it says that this is my body, right? That's what we say each and every week, that Jesus says this is his body. And if you just take the scripture right for what it says, is that this is an image, this is an icon, this is a mystery that Christ gives us. You see, the early church, they, their approach toward communion would be the highlight, would be what the entire service would lead up to, that you would be taking on Christ, that this is an image of how the closeness, that it doesn't get any closer than consuming something. So you're taking on Christ, you're, Scripture says, eating of his flesh, you're drinking of his blood, that this is the body of Christ. And this Christmas, I pray that you see that this is more than just a symbol This is more than just something we do where we scratch off, okay, I I took communion this week. But you are literally engaging in Christ and his body, his blood. See, because the blood is where the freedom is. The blood of Jesus is where there's deliverance for your life. As I was reading Isaiah 53, where it says, by his stripes you're healed, is a powerful approach toward communion is to believe for healing, holistic healing in your body, in your mind, in your relationships, that when you take communion, confess that you're healed. And if you have pain in your body this morning, we believe that you can be healed through partaking of communion. I want us to read, I want to read a confession to you. This is uh, an early church prayer of their approach, their heart around communion And I just want this to minister to you and bless you. Kenny, if you would put that up. Here's what it says. It says, I thank you, O Lord my God, for you have not rejected me, a sinner. Anybody thankful that Christmas isn't a story of rejection where it's God saying, yeah, you're not good enough. But it says, you have not rejected me, a sinner, but you have made me worthy to be a partaker of the holy things. I thank you, For you have permitted me, the unworthy, to commune of the most pure and heavenly gifts. But, O Master, who loved mankind, who for our sakes died and rose again, and gave us these awesome and life-creating mysteries for the good and sanctification of our souls and body. I want to pause right there. We're about, when we take communion, it is for the sanctification of your soul, and it's for the sanctification of your body. It says, let them be for the healing of our soul and body, the repelling of every adversary, the illumining of the eyes and of the heart, the peace of my spiritual power, a faith unashamed, a love unfeigned, a fulfilling of wisdom, the observing of your commandments, the receiving of the divine grace, and the attaining of the kingdom, preserved by them in thy holiness. May I always remember, see Christmas is about remembering, may I always remember thy grace and live not for myself alone, but for you, O master 
and benefactor. May I pass from this life and the hope of eternal life and so attain to the everlasting rest where the voice of those who feast is unceasing and the gladness of those who behold the goodness of thy countenance is unending. For thou art the true desire and the joy. Everybody say joy. And the joy of those who love you. O Christ our God and all creation, we sing your praises forever. Amen. With that, if you would stand. I want you to take a moment. If you would just bow your head, close your eyes. Let's go before Christ right now as his presence is here. Ask him for forgiveness of sins. Ask him to cleanse you right now. Thank him that he cares, that he's close, that he's able for your life. Father, forgive me of any sin and ignorance and any sin of, that I know. Cleanse me right now, Jesus. We thank you for the gift of Christmas. As we're praying, I want you to now connect this communion to your healing, healing of your soul, healing of your body. If you need healing in your life, I want you to say, I thank you, God, that you've healed this relationship because your word says, by your stripes, I am healed. I thank you that the pain in my body, whether it be an arthritis, whether it be migraines, whether it be back pain, spasms, whether it be a surgery you're recovering from, thank him that by his stripes you're healed. Father, we thank you that the healing power of God is here. And we receive the work. We thank you that you're able right now to heal every part of our lives, to balance our emotion, to set us free from anxiety, to set us free from depression, to break the power of addictive behaviors in our lives. Father, align us right now with the Holy Spirit. Again, Jesus said that this is his body. As you take the wafer, the scripture says, as he sat at the Last Supper, he said, take the, take the body, take the bread and pass it around. See, because communion can be done in community, that you're not alone, that we're a body together. And he said, take and eat of it and do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat the bread. And he said, after they had consumed the bread, he passed the wine and he said that this is now a reminder of the new covenant of my blood. If you were here last week, we went through the difference between law and the difference between grace. And that list of the ABCs of, of what the grace of God is offered in your life and what it can do in your life. This is what you're connecting with right now. And so as you drink of the cup and as we do it together, know that the healing power of God is going into motion in your life. Let's drink the cup.
Father, we thank you for Holy Communion. Father, we just lift our hands right now. We thank you that the name of Jesus is beautiful. We surrender right here, right now to what you want to do in our lives. God, the greatest gift we can give to you is ourselves. God, that you are jealous for us. You want our affection. You want our time. You want our talent and our treasure, not out of being a tyrant, but someone who loves us that much. Father, we surrender ourselves to you. God, let this not be another Christmas, not another service, but God, a conscious moment that in 2018, God, we surrendered everything to you, every part of our lives. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name. As we're praying and as you keep your eyes closed, I just want to give the invitation that if... Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed. For more messages like this one, check out our website at gatheringplacechurch.com.